lifepodcasts.fm. This is a word on AI, a three-part series to understand artificial intelligence. You are listening to a word on AI, a business user's guide to make the most of big data opportunities without getting caught up in the hype. My name is Colin Cullis, and I'm joined by Alan Kent, the head of digital at Prime Media Broadcasting, to give you a practical understanding of machine learning and its applications. If you have not listened to episode one yet, I would suggest you start there. In this episode, we look at the machine learning models that exist and their best suited applications. Consider the big data challenges and opportunities in your business and which of the following models may work best for you. Alan, let's look at the various machine learning models. Thanks, Colin. We've got three main types of machine learning that we would use. First one is supervised, second unsupervised, and third reinforcement learning. We covered in the first episode that your supervised learning uses data that we have already labeled. So we can show them the algorithm examples of what we already know and get it to work out the the target or the, the thing that we've labeled it as. Whereas with unsupervised learning, we've got no labels and we're just saying, let's, let's, how do we make sense of this? And then with, obviously with reinforcement learning, that's a more specialized uh, approach where the, the algorithm learns for itself how to take action. So perhaps if we go into some detail for, for each of these and what they can do for you in business. So the first one with supervised, there's main, two main things that you can do with supervised learning. One is like kind of what's the number and the other one is like what's the thing, right? So what's the number we would officially call regression. And you would have probably heard the term regression in kind of maths or statistics coming up in business already. And effectively what you're doing is you're saying, given a whole bunch of, of information that I know about my business and the end result that's come out, so that might be something like the amount of sales we've made on any given day, how do I learn to predict the sales on any given day knowing what I know? Regression then, you could use it to predict stock levels, you could use it to predict sales, you could use it to predict house pricing given what we know about the house. So if we use the house pricing example, you've got things like size of property, number of rooms, do I have a pool, number of bathrooms, and then kind of other things that are in the environment like proximity to schools, proximity to transport. All of those things get encoded into the data and what in the, what the algorithm we would call features. And then for each of those, for the, each of the houses, we have the price of the house. And then given all of that data, we can learn the patterns in that in the features and the data that we have to predict what the price of the house would be. What that enables us to do is look at any new house that we don't know the price of and just plug in the information that we know, number of rooms, proximity to schools and whatever, and get an outcome, which is the price we should be paying for that house. And that's effectively what, what a regression model does and what the kind of supervised in kind of the what's the number allows us to do, right? The other option, the other way we can go is around classification where we'd saying what is the thing? And typical business examples that you would have already have used, which would, is uh, spam detection. So is this email that I'm looking at spam or not spam? Here, what we've got is we've got all of our data again, and we've got the outcome, which is kind of a label that we're looking to predict. So is it something, so is it a piece of mechanical, like a tool or, or a piece of machinery that we can predict that it's going to fail or not fail? Or is it spam or not spam? Or what category should this be in, given if I'm looking at a whole bunch of articles, for example, like what category should this article be in? And there what we're doing is we're taking the data that we know about it and we're learning to predict just a, like a binary, like a, like a true-false or a spam, so what not spam, or, or, or kind of a label. All of those algorithms take in data, 
learn from the data, they learn the patterns, and allow us to predict the outcome. And that's pretty much supervised learning. The next one is is less likely that you've encountered it in kind of day-to-day business. I mean, you definitely will have used unsupervised uh, algorithms. There are kind of two main things you can get you can do with unsupervised learning. The one is clustering. So take a whole bunch of things that we have data for and lump them together in groups that make sense. And then the other one is a more specialized approach or use of it, which is a dimensionality reduction. With the clustering, examples that you might have used here are things like recommendation systems, fraud detection, finding similar images. So, you know, upload a whole lot of images to Google and it says these are all pretty much the same person. It's doing some clustering there. Or taking your data about your customers clustering them together to see if there's maybe a group of people that we can cluster together that have a good product fit for something that we're looking to sell. And there what it's doing is we're not providing the labels in any way. We're literally giving the algorithm a whole bunch of data, saying here's a whole bunch of stuff. You find the number of group, like a, a number of groups in this data, and it pulls it together, presents us with the data in the group, and then it's up to us to work out what we should call that group or often why they've even been clustered together. Because typically you will go for quite obvious things when we cluster things together, but the machine learning algorithm can learn ways of clustering it and, and things that are that are related between the different pieces of data that we might not might not necessarily be apparent to us. The dimensionality reduction is an interesting one where I mean, when I used the house pricing example, I gave a whole bunch of these features like number of rooms, does it have, you know, bathrooms, does it have pool, proximity, all those sorts of things. And in some machine learning uh, applications, the number of features you might have for the algorithm could be hundreds or thousands of features, depending on what your data looks like. Now, working with hundreds or thousands of, of features or, or effectively columns of data is quite tricky, especially when you want to try and visualize it or work out what's going on. So what dimensionality reduction does is it reduces the number of features down by looking specifically for the ones that are most important. And then what you end up with is a a lower dimensional representation of your data that still holds the relationships between them. We use the house pricing example. We might find that things like distance to school, number of bathrooms and size of land are thrown away because things like the house pricing or the you know, whether there's a, a, a pool or not might be more important. It's not necessarily throwing those columns away, but it's recombining them in a way and creating new columns of, with, with combinations of those features that allow it to say, when these things go up, your house price goes up, or when these things get smaller, your house price goes smaller. So typically what this would be used for would be things like reducing noise. So how do we get rid of the noise in data? We pass it through a dimensionality reduction. Or if I want to visualize things, right? So Maybe if you've got something as simple as like 10 columns or features of data and you want to draw a graph of it, you can't draw like 10 axes on a graph. So you bring the dimensions down to two and then you can do like a scatter plot or a graph of it and then you can start seeing how things relate to one another and whether there's clusters and so visualization. Most business applications will use the supervised and unsupervised options. Next, we look at the occasions when reinforcement learning would be used and how deep learning can help with very large data sets. Reinforcement learning, you can explain it as agents that take action in an environment to maximize a reward. So in this example, what you're doing is you're creating a, an agent, so like, a, like a bot, in, in an environment that we've set up. And we, for each action that it takes, we give it different levels of rewards or punishment. And then the bot learns is that um, it's trying to maximize its ultimate reward. So in a kind of a maze environment, the bot might take a move that 
moves it further away from the ultimate outcome, but it needs to go in that direction in order to achieve the ultimate outcome. So what it's learning to do is trade off short-term reward against long-term reward. And typical examples that for this would be um, mechanical, so things like robotics, learning how to do certain tasks, um, but also it's used to play games. So if you look online, you'll find lots of examples of this where people have trained um, algorithms to play old kind of arcade games. The one that you'll probably know the most is AlphaGo. So the ultimate learning of AlphaGo was, was using reinforcement learning where it played games against itself and learned the trade-off between short-term moves versus ultimately winning the game at the end of the day. Now we come to deep learning. This is the part that with limited understanding looks like magic they can do amazing things. The sort of way that you would probably have heard of it is a kind of a neural network. The structure of it is, is kind of inspired in inverted commas by the structure of the brain. And the way that it works is that we create like multiple layers. And as we go through each subsequent layer, we're allowing the algorithm to learn what to do with the data as it passes the data through successive layers. Artificial neural networks is the sort of hold all term for for deep learning and the neural networks that we build. And then within that, you start getting into the specialized neural networks. So convolutional neural networks, which work with images, recurrent neural networks, which work with time series data, autoencoders, which start to do dimensionality reduction. And then um, the one that's probably on top of everyone's mind now is, again, which is a generative adversarial network, which is this thing that starts creating images that have never been seen before that don't really exist. So with each of these, we've got the kind of multiple layers that you can go through, and you pass your data in at the top. You say, I want five layers or ten layers or a thousand layers, whatever your your architecture looks like. The data gets passed through. The, the algorithm learns what to do with the data at each step. And the last layer that comes out at the bottom would be the thing you're looking to get out. So whether it's a, a number, if you're doing regression, or whether it's a category if you're doing classification. So an artificial neural network can do most of what we've already discussed in supervised and unsupervised learning. It just does it in a different, with a different approach and can learn better from masses and masses of data. So if we get into the sort of like convolutional neural network, which is the one that is used with images, and typically it's used with things like um, image classification or identifying things in images. What this algorithm learns is understand, and again, kind of using air quotes, it learns to understand what's in an image. So when you and I look at an image, we, we know what's in the image because we can just see the shapes. But when, you, when a computer looks at an image, it's just looking at a, a series of dots, effectively like pixels or little dots of color, that it, and it needs to try and understand what's in that. So each layer of the neural network, of the convolutional neural network, learns to understand bits of the image. So in the first layer, it might learn very basic shapes like lines. And in the next layer, it starts combining those, those lines and things together to form like maybe shapes that come out of it. All the way down until the last layer, it understands what those objects are. So it knows that by combining these lines into these shapes and these shapes into these objects, these objects give me this this outcome, the cat or the dog or the house or the car or whatever, that's how it learns to understand. And you can kind of dive into the neural network at any point and see kind of what it's seeing. And there's an interesting website where you can upload a picture of yourself in it and you can get an intermediary version of what the, what the neural network has learned. And it's this weird kind of psychedelic landscape thing, which is what the neural network is seeing at that point and how it sees you. And we can drop that in the show notes and people can go and play with it. But ultimately what you're doing is you're building a representation of an image that is something that 
the neural network can understand. And then we can take that representation and we can do things like clustering on it and prediction and kind of good things like that. Recurrent neural networks are neural networks that understand time. So they work with anything that is time series based. And it understands that things come after another. So another perfect example for this would be things like understanding text. Give it a whole paragraph of text and it can learn what words follow one another, what letters typically follow one another. And great examples of these are they give it all of Shakespeare's work and they go learn how Shakespeare writes and then it you can generate new Shakespeare. And typically it's, I mean, it's not very accurate, but it's it's quite impressive for what it's learning. So that's a kind of a recurrent neural network and there's lots of different versions of this. So, you know, like there's a thing called a long short-term memory network which understands what words come next but learns it in the context of what it's already known. So it has a kind of a a memory as it goes. So you can say things like, I grew up in France, I speak fluent, and then it knows to put French because it remembers that you said France earlier. Then the autoencoder is an interesting kind of network in that when you look at the different layers that we create within the network, the layers have, and this is where it comes back to the brain piece, we have what we call neurons in the layer, and that's the number of data points that that each layer might have. And what an autoencoder, what we do with an autoencoder is we for each subsequent layer, we reduce the number of data points that are available. And then we get down to a small number of data points. And then we increase the, the size of the layers again as we go out. So what an autoencoder seeks to achieve is to pass data through the, the layers, which get subsequently smaller and smaller and smaller, and then larger and larger and larger and larger. And what we want on the other side is a representation of what we passed in. So, for example, what we're doing is we say we pass in, um, let's say, an, an image, um, and we say, make this image as small as you can, such that you can reproduce it on the other side. It's effectively what it's doing is, again, dimensionality reduction, because it's reducing the image down to a smaller number of, of pixels, a smaller version of the image, and then back up again. The last one, which is the generative adversarial network, is you can think of it as a little bit like an autoencoder, except split in two. So in an autoencoder, we're taking something, we're making it smaller, and then so we reducing and reproducing, what a GAN does is we, we create two networks. One is a generative network, and then the other is the adversarial network, which or a discriminative network in the official. So what we, affect, what we do is we say, create a new image, which is the generative model. So we pass it some random data and we say, create a new image. And it creates an image of a person's face, or as best it thinks it creates a person's face. And then we create another model and this model we train as a classifier, and all the classifier is doing is just telling us whether the image we give it is computer is real or not. And by playing the two off one another, they both get better and better and better. So the, the discriminative model gets better at determining whether something is real or fake, and the generative model gets better at, at generating fakes. So the idea is the generative model is trying to fool the discriminator, and the discriminator is trying to make sure that it can understand the difference. And this type of model is what gives us things like the these people don't even exist. And all those amazingly detailed images of people's faces um, that, that are just generated out of, a, out of a machine learning algorithm. Regressions, classifications, clustering, and data dimensions should be feeling a little less intimidating now. You may even feel inspired to dust off your old stats books or consider a basic course in statistical modeling, an introduction to data science, or if you're ready to jump in, a machine learning course. In the next episode, we will work through a practical example we have applied at Prime Media Broadcasting. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. It is part of a larger series of a Word On podcast aimed at introducing and explaining a variety of subjects. We hope you find them useful. If you do, please share them with others that they may benefit from them too. To subscribe, use the attached links or search A Word On AI on the podcast player you use. Livepodcasts.fm A Word On AI Understanding Artificial Intelligence Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review it on your favorite podcast app. Livepodcasts.fm